0: Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me Fiona Abrahams, where I'm deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many skilled and talented individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, exploring the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do and their thoughts on their futures and the future of the industry as we navigate the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I am exploring life through the eyes of Chloe Tupper and the ingredients that contribute to success. Chloe is a doer. She says you can't think your way into change. She's tried. Change requires action. Having worked in the fashion, wellness, skincare, and lifestyle industries for the past decade, she has built extensive knowledge in brand coordination, marketing initiatives, and operations. From New York's Big Apple to the traditional muse of London, she has experience working with corporate and private companies, producing positive results in a changing world. Chloe offers real life solutions for living well, which requires us to roll up our sleeves by building and implementing a framework for living with ease and clarity. She incorporates some necessary maintenance tools for optimal physical, emotional and professional functionality that tweak your internal mechanisms and help you perform better with less effort. Sounds amazing. She doesn't promise transformation and transcendence is intangible, but living well doesn't require fairy dust. Just a toolkit, a steady hand, a deep breath, and some practical guidance. Hello, Chloe. Welcome to Raw Talent. Hi, nice to be here. Nice to have you. Thank you for indulging us today. So um, I guess we should start by um, sharing with everyone how we met.
1: Yeah, so we met because my friend and colleague who I used to work with at Lululemon Athletica transferred over to WeWork, which is the co-working offices. And um, she was a manager of the location in um, not Ealing, Hammersmith. 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 And, um, yeah, so I went to go visit her and I did, um, some introductions and did a workshop there for leadership coaching. And I think she just, she thought of you, she had spoken to you privately, um, maybe about something else going on. And she was like, Hey, I think that, you know, you and Chloe would really connect. Um, and then we were
0: introduced and then I think I came to meet you I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember. yeah I think you did I think you did come to Hammersmith and we hit it off and we sort of carried on a an ongoing conversation which kind of started pre-pandemic about a year ago or so and has kind of evolved um, through um, some very uh, unimaginable times who'd have thought we'd be at this point at, at this place now <laughs> no, for, I was just I actually just
1: visioned the WeWork in Hammersmith because there's so many different offices and they're all designed so differently and I've been in yeah. a lot of the sites but I was thinking like we were sitting in that banquet and I it's it's so it feels like yesterday but it also feels like so long ago so much yes. has happened in that time um yes. and also just the evolution of how we're all working now um we're not in WeWorks we're not in co-working spaces and we're still connecting on Um, how our businesses are doing and how people are changing and how the whole culture is changing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess it's a good moment to kind of rewind because obviously you're not from London, you're from the States. Um, So I think we should start by explaining sort of where you grew up and, you know, what was the driving force at the start of your career and how has it evolved? Where did you grow up?
1: yeah so um I grew up in the northeast of the states. I grew up in Connecticut, which is a, a leafy uh, countryside state, and then also Manhattan. so we had two places and so I was like a city country girl um, and I spent a lot of uh, time in the city going to shows with my parents and going to museums and shopping at bloomingdale's and things like that. So I love that life. Um, and I think that started with my love of fashion and my love of beautiful things and jewelry and shoes and just textiles. Um, and I think the, ins- the true inspiration came from my mom. Um, my mom worked as an art director in London. So kind wow. of remind myself. So my mom's from London. My dad's from the States. We grew up in the States. My parents got married in the States. and My mom moved from London when she was about uh, 36 and she moved to the States and moved to Manhattan with my dad. And she was an art director for Saatchi and Saatchi in London. And yeah, so she gave up her career and moved to New York. And I think her love of art and her love of fashion obviously bled into my childhood. Um, I always was dressing up and I was always rifling through her closet. Um, sounds familiar shoes. yeah it's like a that very sounds familiar story. um <laughs> but yeah I mean I think that that and she loved we love dressing up we love dressing up and we ah. love jewelry and things like that so I think that her art direction in kind of her DNA bled over to my you know interest in fashion and interest into beautiful things and then um I always knew from like five years old, I knew I was going to go to fashion college. I knew I was going to do something in fashion and go to university. Um, and I landed up going to university for merchandising, um, yes. probably more for the love of, even though I fought to be really creative, I couldn't draw. Right. I, I didn't have that part of my brain that could um, sketch or draw. I was always more of a director. Um, I was more of merchandising, putting things together, putting outfits together, styling. Um, And so I realized that my analytical and my more business brain was more heightened and was able to kind of be more operational. So I decided to kind of mix the two and went to fashion school for um, wholesale merchandising or apparel merchandising, however you want to call it. And... Yeah, so I did that. I went to two schools, actually, but I landed up at finishing my degree at a school called LaSalle College, which was just outside yep. Boston.
0: Nice. Hmm. And how did you come to get your first job at Warner Co.? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, 2008. So,
1: I graduated university mm-hmm. in 2008 when the whole economy crashed. Excellent. Great timing. So, <laughs> I for right now, actually. So, yes very parallel to right now um all I right. people that are gradu- have graduated university this summer um cuz i know how they feel so there was a yes. bit of a worry and a scramble finishing your degree is a, a feat in itself isn't um, it but then knowing that the world economy is changing and there's a downturn happening it's very um it's very scary to be like oh i've done all this work for 4 years and and i might not have a job mm. um, there was no option for me to move home. Um, a lot of friends of mine had to move home and take up part time work or try to figure it out. But for me, I was so determined. I was like, I'm not moving home. I'm going to, whatever I need to do, I'm going to figure it out. And very I learned so much that. about determination. Yeah, very determined. I and determined. I made that my goal. Like, I'm not moving home because I think. Yeah. I mean not judging people that did but it, for me it felt complacent. yeah you didn't want to do that because it was going backwards
0: so how did you come to land at Warnaco?
1: So yeah long answer but my um, family friend so through a family friend he was a board member on the Warnaco board of directors so I lined up chatting with him he was a board member on several uh, boards and he was like hey why don't I- why don't you look into Warnico or my company? And why don't you look into, we have Calvin Klein jeans and Calvin Klein underwear. Yeah. They were licensees licensors for those brands. So I was like, Oh, denim, that's interesting. And kind of like contemporary and fun and fashion and, and not, you know, not high fashion. Um, and I kind of liked that. I kind of liked the everydayness of denim. Yeah. And everyone has a pair of jeans in their closet. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a pair of jeans. That's true. Even my mom, who never wore jeans for years, has jeans. Right. So I, I just felt like it was accessible fashion. Um, and yeah, I went into a team of five people and it evolved and I got promoted quickly because of other changes, but, um, you know, staff changes and things like that. But, it, I, you know, I worked very closely with a director and... It was just merchandising.
0: We should have everyone within merchandising. Yeah. So um, amazing. Okay. And then two and a half years later, you moved on and sort of into learning. What took you from merchandising into more of a learning based role? Yeah, so the
1: the transition between being in the high-paced garment district of New York, yeah. it was a very crazy time. Like we were working very quickly also because the economy was in a downturn. Everyone was trying to make money faster. Um right. I worked with a lot of um off-cut brands and say like like example TK Maxx yeah. uh, and things like that because they, people were trying to push inventory and make make a dollar. Yeah. Um, but with, with that and what happens, kind of the the reputation that the fashion industry gets is that there's not a lot of balance. There's no. a lot of high pace, a lot of working 50 plus hours a week, a lot of um, drinking, a lot of um, dinners, lots of shows. Like there's a very high paceness to it. And for me, I always had a yoga practice on the side since okay. I was 15. Uh, 14, 15, I started practicing yoga. And so within that, I always knew there was something else I was connecting to. And what I saw is that once I once I saw myself kind of tipping over to the more fast paced life, yeah. I kind of was like, I need to bring the balance back. Um, so I was practicing a lot more Um, and then I trained to be a yoga teacher, um, really for my own knowledge versus actually teaching, but I was like, I'm going to learn more. And it, it offset my fast paced fashion world. And yes, my hours were long. And yes, I had long nights where I would go from the office and run to the yoga studio and be there for three or four hours and then go home at midnight and start all over again. Um, but I, I try, was trying to achieve that balance and then I was at Warnaco. I'm trying to think now. I was at Warnaco for almost four years, actually. My um, CV might be wrong, but I was there for quite a while. And then I literally—this is what uh, further, um, i literally ran into a family friend around the corner, and that we bumped into each other in the fashion in the fashion district. We bumped into each other, and I was like, "Oh, she was the she's actually the ex wife of a family friend." And she said, that is so weird. I was, I've been thinking about you. And I was like, that's really random. So she said, Hey, listen, I have, I know you've gotten into yoga. I have a friend who runs a nonprofit for teaching yoga to kids in the public schools in Manhattan, New York. They need you. And I was like, I don't even know. What do you mean? They need me. And she said, they need someone that's super organized, on top of it, very level-headed, very calm, knows what they're doing, and just kind of gels everything together. And I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's a compliment, thank you." Um, so she said, "Listen, no, no pressure, but just you know, talk to my friend. Talk to my friend who runs this, this um, organization." I said, "You know, a phone. What I would say to anyone: a phone call doesn't hurt anyone."
0: Absolutely.
1: And it could be 15 minutes, it could be 50 minutes.
0: Absolutely. So, so you think, basically you do you basically had the conversation and ended up going to work on uh bent on learning, as it was yeah. called.
1: Yeah. So wow. bent on learning is the nonprofit that I went to go work for um
0: for a short time. Yes. And then what brought you to London? Yeah, so I left Benton
1: Learning not based on anything to do with the company or the work that I was doing. It was actually very fulfilling work, um, programs for the yoga um, for the kids. But we, so I was with someone, and we had decided we wanted to move to Europe. Oh. So it was nothing to do with my career. Actually, it was very family driven, very change driven. We'd both been in New York for a long time, um, and we just decided like uh, his family was in uh Europe and my family was in London so London was a great place to kind of have not middle but kind of have an epi- have a center yes. so um we moved to London kind of quickly we just kind of picked up and moved everything over um in a short period of time and i was i would say i was a little bit naive but i thought oh i'll just get a fashion job in london i mean the epicenter of fashion i'll just you know, I'll just figure out, I'll do a merchandising job. I will um, do operations, do something like that. Just do something that I kind of missed in terms of when I went to yoga for the yoga stuff for about a year, I kind of missed the the beauty of the fashion industry.
0: Um, yes, of
1: course. So I missed it and I came to London and I looked up loads of jobs and I interviewed and I recruiters and back and forth and just kind of like tried to figure out a um transition after finally moving here. And then what happened was was actually like the the job interviews that I was going on or the companies that I was looking into or the recruiters that I was speaking to and things like that, I was really disillusioned um, oh. to be honest. Oh no. I was just shocked. I was shocked in terms of the, the level of opportunities are different. I think that's
0: a big thing people don't realize. Very. It's a very, very different market. Um, very different. Of, yeah. And I think the stand, you know, we've got very different paces of life compared to New York. London is slower. Um, it's a bit more balanced. But you, you've got different salary scales for roles. You've got slightly different structures. You know, you live, you, you live to work in New York, don't you? So whereas you work to live here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a very good saying because it that's is. exactly it. I yeah. I had done very, I had done well for myself at Warnaco in right. terms of pay and the roles that, the role that I was in and I was quite proud of myself for the promotions that I had gotten. But coming to London, I just was like, do I really have to downshift that many notches to get a lateral role for an entry level pay? I was like, whoa, this is it was a eye opening
0: Yes, because it's a completely different market, and as I always say to candidates, salaries don't tran- don't transcend um, countries. That any any salary is always anchored to the local market economy. So you see massive differences between countries, and a lot of that is dictated by tax systems. Every country has a different regime. So you know you could you could go to Switzerland where they pay huge tax, and so they're compensated differently. And then you've got a different system for Germany and a a different system for um, the Netherlands and a different system again in Italy and a different system again in France. It's so different depending on where you go. Yeah. So I would say the big, I mean, the lesson in
1: that for me was like I was too naive to be like, oh, I'll just get a fashion fashion because it was a
0: learning curve, wasn't it, for you? And you might not, you wouldn't necessarily know this stuff until you kind of find yourself navigating it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not like a downer. It's just more of like, yeah. oh, I didn't know. And I, I was I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, I was learning. I was yeah. surprised. Um, yeah. And I think, in an honest, also honestly, I probably thought, oh, can I really swallow that? Like, there yes. was a bit of a side thing going on. Can I swallow that? Because, um, speaking of the times again, it was 2008 when I got out of university, and then I kind of climbed the scales quickly. Um, I went on a little yoga adventure in between to try to rebalance myself. But when I came back in 2012, um, when I moved here, so 2012 was like the Olympics. I actually moved here the same month. The Olympics, like, you know, things like that. And, you know, the economies were trying to
0: regain... Still getting back, still trying to regain momentum, weren't they? It was still at 2012. It was still trying to get back to some sort of normality. And that didn't really fully manifest until around 2014 exactly so I think
1: similarly in terms of the times it's kind of like kind of getting kicked in 2008 because of you know the crash yeah well people were gaining momentum but it wasn't yeah. the level of where I was like oh yeah I really would love to do that merchandising job for the same amount of hours for half the pay that so
0: what did you end up doing did you find
1: something So knowing me, as usual, determination, I landed up doing – I had, like, five jobs. I had five jobs. I Mm -hmm. was a maniac. I just came to London and was like, you know what? Why don't I try? Like, just buffet style. Like, why don't I try a bunch of stuff? I have lots of different skills. Um, I've come from – you know, I always knew I could teach yoga because I was a yoga teacher for a long time. At that point, for about three or four years, I could teach kids in schools. Yeah. I did. Um, So I taught – I taught kids in schools and primary schools in three different schools. I worked for a yoga studio as a marketing freelancer. I helped yeah. them with their newsletters and things like that. I, um, what was the other thing I did? I taught yoga to adults. So just renting out halls and teaching public yeah. classes. And I don't think I met, I was going to say this. I, In terms of trying to get back into the fashion world, I did do some shows where I was like helping dress and helping set up. And it was like event production for some of the shows that were going on. And I was specifically looking at sustainable, more eco centered designers. And I would, I would reach out to them individually.
0: Did you find one?
1: I did. So I landed up um, it was very short, but I landed up doing a show first for this woman who did silks. So she did, um, like sustainable silks, beautiful. Um, and we did a show. It was really nice. It was in a gallery and that kind of segues into, I was doing the show and I was just, you know, dressing models and, and just kind of getting stuck in. I was just doing whatever they needed me to do. Yeah. And the woman who co-owned the gallery, came up to me at the end and kind of grabbed my arm and was like, "Who are you?" <laughs> I was like, "Hi." Um, you know, obviously my New York accent came out and she was like, "Who are you? I need you. I need you right now." And I was like, "What do you mean you need me?" She's like, "We're having coffee next week. I I need you." And I was like, oh, "Okay." What did that evolve into? I was like, "I've never been picked up." So, yes. So I landed up having a coffee, and I did everything under the sun. So I would say I was her EA, PA. What was her
0: business?
1: So she had four different businesses. The um, First one at the time, so she owned a gallery.
0: Was this Ilona uh, Pachi? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. I worked with her for many years on and off.
0: Okay, so, I see. Um, How did we, you then... I've got to ask this. How did you then come to um, join Lulu Lemon?
1: Right. So I was with Alona for years and we did art gallery shows and we sold luxury bicycles and we did wine distribution and oh. we did loads of different stuff. She was a very, Amazing. she was a very active person and she just loves beautiful things. So I just helped uh-huh. her with all of that.
0: Wow. Um, and
1: production organization, client retention, marketing, she really was like my learning
0: curve in London because I did oh, everything. That's um, amazing. What an amazing opportunity. And it found you. Because I was going to ask you earlier, have you actively guided your career trajectory? But it seems as though the opportunities have actually found you, haven't they? Yeah. And
1: like, and like telling the story of running into a family friend, bumping heads yeah. in the corner in the fashion district was, you know, kind of as a symbolism to all of my opportunities that I've right. had between meeting you with through tennis that we work to, to all of the, actually all of the opportunities I've had in my life, even through coaching and everything that I do now, it's all word of mouth. So mm-hmm. it's always referred. So yeah, no Alona um, working for her was a great learning curve in London and kind of the same thing happened. I was in it. So to move on to the lemon, I was working for Alona. I was running around town. I was working four or five jobs. I was a little bit like a chicken with my head cut off loving it tired but kind of like whoa i'm doing lots of things um and then i was in a yoga class practicing not teaching practicing in a yoga class and i got picked up again i keep on getting hit on by these lovely women <laughs> i was <really> picked up <laughs> by um a manager from little lemon who's from from the states they were wow. doing recruiting in europe and we ended up chatting and she was like, Hey, I work for this brand. Do you know it? Um, and I was like, yeah, I think I have one pair of leggings from them. Um, I mean, this was in 2013. So I wasn't super hip to the brand yet, but I knew of them from being from New York there. I mean, yeah. they're originally Canadian, but I knew of them because I saw the the logo. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I think you need to come work for me. And I was like, okay, this is now getting weird. Um, so again, had a coffee, chatted, talked about life. Um, she was a very perky Californian. I was a very New York East Coast person. We kind of were like yin and yang to each other. Um, and that started my journey at Lululemon. I mean, we were, I was one of, in terms of the Europe market, I was one of the first seven employees in Europe.
0: Wow, that's quite something. What would you say, looking back, have been the major learnings from your experience so far?
1: I would say, like, in all of those, you know, kind of happenstance um, run-ins or happenstance headhunting or recruitment, I would say in terms of me learning things from those opportunities and and how long I've stayed in those positions at times, I would say resetting quicker. Um, Hmm. I would kind of hold on to... I, I'm very loyal. Yes. As a person I'm very loyal. So I think that sometimes that's a great advantage, but also can be a disadvantage to myself. I would say, you know, I think I should have reset to quicker to to um new opportunities and also to to kind of let myself fail a bit faster.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. Why do you say that? What makes you say that you should have you should have failed faster? Um, I think that there's
1: in terms of the loyalty, I kind of stuck around I for um, a little too long in some of the things that I did.
0: Yeah, and happens.
1: I would say that in the markets that we're in, so from 2008 to 2012 to 2020, the different generations that are now working, it's like the younger people, I would say to any younger person, like do loads of things. Yeah, And, and if you feel like you're in a job that you don't absolutely fully embody and love, move on like quicker, go quicker, reset quicker, do things quicker because not in a fleeting way, but in a considered way. But I think that if you're not fulfilled, there's so much opportunity out there and you create your own, you creating your career because you're creating your life. So I think I held on to working four or five jobs a little bit too long and I landed up being really tired.
0: Um, makes sense because you were doing a lot simultaneously and how did all of this kind of lead you in a holistic direction as a consultant how did that transition come about again seeing
1: um from the fashion industry seeing the lack of balance seeing people kind of pedal to the metal pushing themselves you know between the culture of like drugs and alcohol and just like pushing 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 like yes and just really overexerting themselves to to no one really but really kind of being like prideful in how much they worked
0: and which is to fulfill an expectation that I think has always existed within the fashion industry at different levels there's always been an expectation about how you need to be um and it's dangerous and I think we've seen we we've seen where that leads with the loss yeah. of many types of people. Yes,
1: yeah. and I think that's what to answer your question is like that's what's led me to being to seeing a wider perspective and saying like we need more balance.
0: We need balance. We do need balance, and certainly that's what we're getting from the pandemic. It's been like right, people, slow down, <laughs> and sort of without getting all woohoo. You and I very much share a like minded holistic approach to life, and I love to work with brands that have a holistic mindset because I think that's reflective of today's society. Um, Do you, are you seeing and do you think that the pandemic has encouraged people to make major lifestyle changes and how are you seeing it put this play out through your consultancy and the coaching that you do? Yeah. So I think, you know, during the
1: pandemic,
0: um,
1: It's kind of you kind of seen that people have had to make more conscious decisions. I was thinking that you know, a lot of people again, so we can't work in this high paced um, modality anymore because people have to really consider their logistics, the operations, their spending, their faculty, like their all of their HR concerns, like everything has to, and also inventory. So things are being considered, I would hope things are being more considered and people in their jobs as individuals, but also companies I would hope are being, are going to have to take more of a conscious decision-making process in anything that they do from this day forward. And I think that in terms of people as individuals, all aspects of their lives have changed um, between, between their workouts to their childcare, to their house, to going out to dinners to their social life, to holidays, and also like not going to the office or going to, you know, now people are able to go to cafes and work and things like that. Figuring out a way that you're, in terms of holistic, like their mind, body, and their spirit has to recalibrate. And I, I see great hope and, and benefit
0: in people being more conscious about their well being. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you because I feel like there's a levelling up going on that is forcing people to rebalance their lives and slow down enough to enjoy them rather than be on fast forward with blinkers hurtling to an unknown destination at full pelt. That's how it's felt pre-pandemic. And
1: I think, I mean, I bless everyone, of course, that has lost lost loved ones and everything that has happened on the medical side. And it's very sad. I know. But, but I do think that, part of, this, do that. that yeah, part of this was a little bit necessary to halt society. Yeah. Necessary, but there was that. something was going to happen to halt society for people to get a kind of a, a glance at their life and say, I can't consume as much. I'm, I'm consuming too much. I'm spending too much time on my screen. I'm not paying attention to my children. I don't connect with my family. I, my nutrition's out the window. I'm gaining weight. I'm losing weight. Like whatever their hangups have been, people have really had to think, Oh, especially during lockdown, how do I make three meals a day? Yes. That's huge. It's That's huge. huge for people and you know if you're used to going to the fast chains when you're in the city going to the chains for your breakfast and your lunch that's two meals that were already decided for you that's right Right. so now anyway all of the things i was thinking the fact that we have to think about as we walk out the door every single day if you have to pick up a mask because that's what the government has told us that we have to do on public transport or in shops and things like that we already are psychologically training ourselves to make more paused and considered decisions, it's true. That's we have true. to plan. We have to plan our logistics. We have to plan what buses and trains and whatever we need to do to move around the city that we love. We have to be, and also our meal planning. We have to consider that. And I think people are now being more time managers in their life versus fighting against the clock, which is what they
0: were doing before. 100% I could not agree with you more you work with lots of entrepreneurs and I love that you you are the champion in, in our corner what sort of gems can you share with us today about the challenges that people face you know the world of entrepreneur, entrepreneurism as we well know is uh, evolving very quickly what would you What what insights would you share
1: I think that you know. I feel again. I feel for the people that graduated university this year. I also gra- feel for the entrepreneurs that may have just started in the recent years. And also um,
0: the more, it, yeah, and also the more experienced people, because I think it's it all. This all transcends age. I think you know. I'm certainly seeing across the board um, people being very severely affected by everything that's gone on, regardless of age. So it's from the very experienced to the to the new the new graduates.
1: Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you know, actually, I agree with you. I think that in terms of entrepreneurs, what the people that I speak to, it's taking their power back. Yeah. They they started a business for a reason because they knew they had the power to do so. Yeah. So when they are kind of told you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. They're kind of um, perplexed, but if once you're able to kind of bring them above that surface and go, no, you started this because you have a tremendous amount of power behind yourself and you have that personality and you have that determination to bust through this and really figure out what works for you, because the beauty of an entrepreneur, they're in charge. Yes, that's right. Right. They're in charge. You're in charge. You're in choice every single day. And yes, sometimes that is a slog to be the one that just makes all the decisions, but also it's so powerful. Yeah. You're in charge. And I think that during this time, particularly the people, I would, the things that I um, have been working with people is self-motivation, telling them that they don't have to do everything. If they need to outsource their accounting or they need to outsource their sourcing or things like that, they need to know that they don't have to do everything because otherwise they're going to be burnt out um, yeah. and I think also you know valuing themselves there's a lot of um there's a lot of value and a lot of courage that comes in entre- comes from entrepreneurs because they're the visionaries they're the people that are looking there are gaps in the market they're the ones who are always. Being imaginative on what to do next, and I think that valuing themselves will only help them value their team and their team value. You know, being valued um, and the work and the product and the services that they put out there.
0: So it filters through all elements of the business.
1: Yeah, and I think that entrepreneurs they sometimes they have heavy shoulders because they uh-huh. they are in charge, but also they have to be courageous yet again and go, you know what? I'm in charge and I value what I do because I believe in my services. I believe in my product and I believe in what I'm able to bring to the world. And it's more than ever now. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of like they're laying that level for a lot of people and a lot of businesses to, to kind of see as a model, to be like, you can choose.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually really, really interesting that you say that, because, again, it goes back to what you said before, people taking their power back and stepping into their power. And suddenly they're presented with that very clear scenario, whereas they may not have realised it before. When you're working for people and you're employed, you don't always think like that. So it's definitely a gear shift. Um, I get that. What's been your best experience so far? across your career that's a hard question isn't
1: it yeah it's a hard it's a hard question i have Uh a lot of like fleeting snapshots going through my mind um Uh i've done a lot as i've said
0: i've done a lot lot of of different things what stands out what would be something pivotal
1: well i thought of it more as like a a general a general thing is that when i was 14 again my determination i i convinced um, a local business owner to employ me even though I wasn't of legal age yet but when I was 14 I made I let I made him employ me um, and I worked for a fine jeweler's like a family owned fine jeweler's because I loved diamonds and I loved stones and jewelry so I in terms of that from 14 to about 18 before I went to university we just had the best time Um, we had so much fun. There was about four, there were four girls, my colleagues that I worked with. One was older and the other were about my age and we had the best time. And what I would, what I would say, my best experience is that family, like quote unquote family team environment where we really supported each other. We really considered each other. We had a lot of fun. I mean, we were young, but we had a lot of fun. We, and also our boss really respected us. He really that's thought, amazing. like I said like he's my favorite boss for my life because Aww. he really, really respected us and we were kids. We were young teenage girls. Um, come with drama or not. But what
0: were you doing for him? I was a sales associate. I was selling oh, different Wow. Amazing. In a store. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, that's so funny.
1: I, and we went to New York and we went to the Diamond District, and we chose stones and we oh, every wow. year, and just but we created a family. we really supported each other and we yeah. really. um and I think I've had other teams myself either being in charge managing or being a part of a team where you do have that uh, group that you really support each other. yeah, my main thing is I would love to work for um continue to work with entrepreneurs and continue to coach and I've done it, you know, I've done some leadership workshops that we work in terms of like getting that camaraderie and getting that, ah. you know, support for each other and and really believing to say that like, you know, life is life is fast enough. Stop for a minute and have a coffee with your colleague and say, How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Because within that support, you don't understand how the magnitude that affects that person's life. And Absolutely. that plays into it plays into mental health, it plays into team camaraderie plays into leadership it plays into you know cultural support it plays into um co- career progression you may not know that your colleague wanted to you know be promoted to a new role yeah you know, if you take the time and you have you know if it's on zoom these days or not but if you take the time and you say how are you um, and what are your dreams and aspirations
0: you learn so much yeah absolutely and i think you know we some i think workplace has been trapped in this very formal business go 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 get mindset and the pandemic has wiped that all away and it's very interesting that you talk about injecting fun because actually when you have a more relaxed environment people and you and you empower people through trust and you entrust them to do things you get so you get much much better results so yeah, it's, uh, that's certainly been an observation through my career as well. I think that's very interesting that you say that. What's been your scariest experience, but one that provided great learning?
1: <laughs> oh, man, I've done so much. I, always, <laughs> I would think that, I would say like event production is quite scary. So if it's a fashion show or a trade show or just a gallery show or, um, or a party, Um, I've done stuff like that. And you always think that you're like, oh, okay, I have enough time. And all of a sudden the clock is ticking. So it's not necessarily scary, but I say in terms of the lesson learned out of that is like, just be prepared, very organized. You have to be very organized. You have to be very prepared and you have to just make sure that you have plan B and C and D Um, because stuff happens in the world. And so- you know, the taxi doesn't show up or the balloon guy doesn't show up or, you know, the models, things happen. And so you just have to be very agile. So being prepared and being
0: agile. Excellent. I think that's great advice. So coming back to the coronavirus, many industries are obviously being impacted. Events, of course, is one of them. Um, In a perfect world, how do you think businesses will evolve? Um, particularly where measurable social and environmental impact and sustainability are becoming ever more important. The um, the planet is obviously telling us at the moment that we need to get our act together.
1: Yeah, you know, it's sad to say, but I think we need to wake up to reality. And I think a lot of businesses will close. Okay. Um, fold, close, um, I think. But it makes the consumer us included makes consumer content concentrate on their lifestyle and their purchasing habits. And I think the markets, we knew the markets were oversaturated. Um, so again, a reality check, like we were oversaturated. And I think that this is a necessary kind of cut. Um, you know, obviously I feel for people's families and their businesses, but, um, their sympathy, but I think that it's kind of like, it was a necessary mean, um, and I think that in terms of businesses as well as consumers, everyone has to think, quote, unquote, smarter. Yeah. And, and they have to you know, understand that they're spending, their spending models and their budgets and their inventory management and things like that, services they're providing, everything has to be in a smarter um, model. And really realize the impact it's having on society. Because yet again, like I was saying about the mask analogy, it's kind of like you have to have pre-thought and think through what you're actually doing. So before you leave the house, you have to kind of pack your bag and put your shoes on and know which trains you're taking and have a more thought out process versus being an autopilot. And I think that with fast fashion and fast consumerism and disposable fashion and disposable beauty and everything like that. I think that it's time for there there be a reckoning. Um, And within that reckoning, it's kind of like people have to think about what they're actually purchasing Mm. and how they're consuming it. Um, And, you know, the longevity and the consumption um, as well as, you know, is how is that going to impact your life and the greater? Um, And so, We'll see. I mean, again, businesses will close. We know that it's not, not, I'm not, not a newsflash here. Businesses will close and people will merge or be acquired. And there's just going to be an evolution of us seeing that roll out now. Um, And we have to kind of see, be like, Oh, okay. So the, the, the concentration of the, or the saturation of the market, it's not sustainable.
0: Yeah, so it's really, it's a levelling up and it's then a new way forward.
1: And, and being smarter, and
0: making being smarter. smarter decisions. Like, you know, your,
1: yeah. the salaries and the budgets and the, the, the shift work and all of these things are going to change. And yeah. I think that people, the way people consume, you know, we don't know when we're going back to the theatres. We don't know when we're going back to travelling around the world again.
0: So the way that people consume, it's like higher quality, less quantity yeah that makes sense that makes sense and then my closing question um, which is quite ironic given our last meeting who would be your dream brand to work for and of course it can be your own um, and if you could have any three people dead or alive that you'd want in your team who would you have and why mm-hmm.
1: um i've had that you know i've had the beauty of working with such an eclectic crew <laughs> Yes, worked with so many people, um, which I'm grateful for, and some of them are proper gems. Um, and you know, I hope that our our paths cross again. Um, what I think, you know, in terms of a brand overall, there's so many brands that I love, and there's so many that I adore, and I, you know, really support and, um, you know, really encourage to kind of keep fighting the good fight. But in terms of like, my loves and my skill set, I, you know, I really like Bamford and Dalesford Farms. Um, okay. and I know that the, the family comes from JCB um, construction, and that's beautiful. But they've kind of moved into this kind of holistic wellness, home decor, green living, spas, um, environmental impact, fashion, skincare, food. Like they have such a wide, they're like many department stores in in a sense. They have such a wide category, a wide range of categories. Yeah. I love, I love home stuff. I love, um, skincare. I love fat, you know, beautiful, simple fashion, um, sustainable, you know, thing, you know, meet the maker kind of stuff. Um, I love a spa, who doesn't love a spa? Who doesn't love um, a spa? Yeah, so things like that. Like I, I really appreciate the consideration and also I've looked into like who did the architecture of the buildings that they have and it's this beautiful man named Spencer Fung who did a lot of work for them and I like his story and it's really nature driven. Um, so yeah, I would say Bamford right now is an example. Um, cause they just have such a wide category range that I connect to. And then in terms of people on my team, um, I have to say my, one of my best friends who lives in LA, um, he comes from the makeup industry, but he is the most talented person I know. He's uh, by far he such a visionary. He's so, uh, he has so many skills He's worked for, you know, amazing companies and he's, you know, has his own company now, but he, he, when I see him, you know, rarely now, but when I see him, I'm so inspired. I'm so inspired. And I just want to like go out and conquer the world. And he's so approachable. So Daniel, for sure. Okay, Uh, Fantastic. What does Daniel do now? What's his business? So Daniel is a brand manager for makeup and skincare companies. Um okay. He has his own business. So he's kind of, he creates, he runs, creates, and manages like an individual's brand.
0: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's very cool. And, guardian. He's a brand. Yeah, guardian. and he'll have, oh. he, he's starting his own skincare line as well. So he'll do that as well. Wow, fantastic. And then, and then who's next? Um... Probably because I just spoke
1: to her yesterday, but my friend Carolyn, she also, she's, um, she's younger than me. She's very um, uh, motivated and she's also very talented. She does amazing graphic design and she's very good at merchandising and she's very good at event production. She's an all-rounder. Yes. Um, I'm not a I'm not a cricket person, but like I would call her an all rounder. Yeah, she can she can bat and she can bowl, so she's like she'll she can do everything. Um, and she's very um, she's a little bit more of a perfectionist than I am, so she's very meticulous with all the details. Um, the third person I can't grasp my head around the third person because and maybe they'll come to me, but I was thinking if I created a team. I would want someone that was very good at finance. Okay. I'm very good at fi- personally I'm very good at money and finance, but I would love for someone to look that look after that for me. Yeah. and, and really kind of keep me in check and you know if I'm going to be the creator of things, I would love to have like a finance head. Yeah, makes sense. Someone that's very um you know audit like they would audit things and they would you know manage things so I will find that person but um you know just maybe a a very conscious banker
0: fantastic that's great thank you so much it's very interesting to hear what you shared there and interesting that there are people that you've met along the way that you'd love to work with again I think that's so fantastic and I'm I'm a massive believer in the people that cross our paths in life um are often people that continue to be there through our lives there are always people that stay with you there's people that fall away but there are people that fall with you uh, that stay with you and it's it's interesting that you've um, identified a few of those for your brand thank you so much it's been really interesting to to hear your insights thank you for sharing this with us today yeah you're welcome
1: it's been really fun to go down memory lane and also reflect and it's it's inspiring
0: yeah, definitely. I feel very, very motivated all of a sudden. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me again. Chloe's experiences are inspiring examples of how life places opportunity in our path and how determination goes a long way. Her mom is British and her dad is American, and she grew up between Manhattan and Connecticut. Her mom was an art director for Sarchin' in London, and gave up her career to move to the States. Chloe grew up surrounded by culture and beautiful things. As a child, she loved dressing up, and at age 14, convinced a family friend to hire her, even though she was below work age, as a sales associate for his fine jewellery business, where she enjoyed four amazing years before university. He had a team of four girls of various ages, and treated everyone with great respect, involving them in everything, and they had lots and lots of fun, which has proved to be a standout experience for Chloe, who graduated in 2008 at the global financial crash uh, just as it was biting. Determined to get a, a job and not move home like her friends, she joined Warnaco after a chance encounter with a loosely connected friend of the family who happened to sit on the board of multiple companies, including Warnaco, and suggested she apply and she fast-tracked up the merchandising ladder. Feeling the burn after several years of crazy fashion hours, Chloe then seized an opportunity to step into the world of learning at non-profit on Learning, where she taught yoga and meditation to public schools and youth centres in New York City. A year later, she and her partner at the time decided they wanted to have a European experience and her London adventure began with a shock realisation that salaries don't transfer between countries. So Chloe took on a whole bunch of different roles in events and fashion and was literally hijacked by Ilona Pagia, who decided at an event that she had to come and work for her. And an ongoing collaboration was born that saw Chloe operationally manage Elona's wide range of business interests which include an art gallery, luxury lifestyle products, events and a restaurant called Villa Gaggiano. I've probably pronounced that really badly. Chloe says Elona absolutely loves products and could sell water to the sea. It was an incredible opportunity. Her take on the Covid crisis is that we are all being forced to step into our own power She says, be prepared to fail faster, reset quicker, and seize the opportunities that come your way. You have one life. You are in charge. Agility is a massive skill. Rather than getting overwhelmed, just be super organized and have plans A, B, C, and D. By doing lots of things, you pick up skills along the way. The pandemic is a leveling up, and we can't be on autopilot. We have to make informed and conscious decisions. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Dacha Paris, creators of beautiful, handcrafted, useful and decorative objects. And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes, where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.